Well, good evening. How are we doing? Yeah? Okay. Great. Uh, let's go First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. We'll be hanging out uh, there tonight. Um, and if you are uh, just now jumping in with us, we are finishing uh, tonight our series on First Peter. And so uh, if you're new to this book, essentially uh, what's been going down for the last few weeks is we've been reading this letter that, that Peter wrote to um, Christians, followers of Christ, who have been kind of dispersed all over. And he writes them this letter, and the basic idea is how to, to be a spiritual exile or how to be a spiritual foreigner, meaning um, that, that when Christ saved us, he didn't just save us, he adopted us into his family, and our citizenship changed. So now we are citizens of heaven. We belong to the king of the universe, and so our allegiance is to King Jesus, and so the tension now is, all right, so how do we navigate this life where our allegiance is to God, yet we're on this earth, and we're called to, to be here and to be a light and to interact with all these different things, and we have this allegiance, but we're also citizens here, but citizens there. How do we, how do, we do that, right? And so what Peter's been doing is, is walking us through how on earth do we be um, spiritual exiles that, that honor our king, yet um, flourish and thrive and, and make much of our king on this earth. And so that's kind of what he's been doing. And so tonight, we're going to finish by, by seeing this kind of one last piece um, of, hey, here, here's kind of one last thing that y'all should know if you want to be um, light in this world, if you want to be effective as exiles in this world. And so uh, what he's going to talk about specifically is um, kind of interesting. He's going to focus on the idea of the relationship between church leadership and the members of the church body. And you might hear, hear that and think, that's kind of an, an odd topic, and I would agree. Um, in fact, I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually heard a sermon on this topic, but the more that I've read it, the more um, I've become excited because I think this is an incredibly relevant passage for us in our day and age, right? Um, I read a story or, or an article the other day um, that, that said that about four to 6,000 churches every year close in the U.S., and if you look at that um, number and the reason why 4,000 to 6,000 churches close their doors every year is because the church body can be one of the most dysfunctional organizations around, right? And you hear all these stories about this kind of dysfunctional relationship between church leadership and the members of the church and, and, and all these things because it's, it's just kind of hard to pull off and it's hard to do it in a really healthy way. So we live in a culture where um, the dynamics between church leadership and the members of a church body are incredibly important, incredibly important. And I think what's amazing is that this is actually an incredibly healthy church. This is an incredibly healthy church. And I know a lot of you, and, and I, I see what's happening in, in this room, and I'm so encouraged. And so really, when I read this and I think about us, I'm really encouraged because I think we're so close to nailing it. I think we are so close to, to just rocking this passage, Right? But if we can actually get to a place where we understand in our um, ability to, to interact as church leadership and members of the church, if we can just make that hum, and something incredible is going to happen. One, will be an, an incredibly healthy church. But two, we will be a phenomenal light to the community. You see, because I think one of the most distracting things in the world for people who don't know Christ is they see uh, this dysfunction. They see churches splitting over stupid stuff. They see um, pastors who abuse authority, or they see church mem members who are really um, naggy about little weird things, right? And they see just this dysfunction, and what happens is they're distracted from seeing the beauty of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. 
So the gospel, the, the truth that, that we were sinners who are far from Christ, yet Christ came to pay the penalty for our sins so that we have a right relationship with God. That beautiful message of grace and mercy and love and compassion, that gets kind of off to the side. That's kind of sidetracked because they're so confused by the dysfunction. So my hope is that we are a people who can read this and apply it and, and leave knowing, all right, what is my role as maybe um, someone in leadership? What's uh, my role as someone who's just a member of, of the church? How do these dynamics work so that we can, one, be healthy, but two, they make much of our king so that people see our relational dynamics and they say, wow, that's, that's different. That's hard to pull off. That's, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's the hope for tonight. So with that being said, we're going to just, just go ahead and dive in because we've got a lot to, to cover. So let's start in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And actually, b- before I start that, um, I want to say one last, last thing. If you're in the room and you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, you wouldn't consider yourself uh, to be a Jesus follower at all. First off, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm so stoked that you chose to come uh, Worship, I know that sometimes that's going to be an intimidating thing, and so I hope you feel welcome and at home. We know that you're here, and we love it, um, so welcome. But two, um, and maybe somewhere along the way, um, you've developed some baggage towards the church, um, and maybe a lot of that has come from people who have been in church leadership um, that just didn't function the way that God had called them to. So my hope is that tonight we can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, and you can kind of see how God has actually asked us to function in, in such a beautiful way. And so if that's you, um, I hope this is a really uh, encouraging night for you as well. Um, all right, let's go. First Peter 5, starting in verse, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, start right there. So um, Peter starts off uh, by by speaking to the elders, meaning those who are um, pastors, those who are in church leadership. um, And he gives them a, a very specific task, a very specific role. He says, you are to shepherd the flock. You're to shepherd the flock. Now, maybe somewhere along the way, you've heard pastors stand up, and they've just all of a sudden, out of the blue, started using weird shepherd analogies, right? And they're talking about shepherding moments, or really desiring to feed, feed, feed the flock, or um, protect the flock from wolves. And you're like, wolves? Like, where are we? Like, what are you talking about, right? If you've ever been very confused by a pastor talking about shepherding things and sheep and flocks, they're referring to this. Right, they're, they're referring to this, this, this kind of beautiful picture that Peter lays out of, of what a, a pastor, what a church leader is supposed to do. And he says, you're supposed to be like a shepherd. You're supposed to be like a shepherd. And that may seem a little odd, but, but it's an incredibly beautiful picture when we realize what a shepherd does, right? Because um, a shepherd is someone who is entrusted with a flock of sheep. And the shepherd's job is uh, not to be apathetic, uh, towards the sheep. It's not to just kind of be lackadaisical. No, the, the shepherd's job is to very intentionally care for the flock. It's to feed the flock. It's to protect the flock. It's to um, watch after the flock. It's to do everything in the shepherd's power 
to ensure the safety and the health and the well-being of the flock. Their, their job is to make sure that the flock flourishes. That's the job of a shepherd. And so what Peter's saying here is, hey, the elders among you, hey, the, the, the pastors, those in leadership over the church, man, what I want for you, what is God is calling you to, is to be a shepherd. You're supposed to be a shepherd to the flock. You're supposed to view your people as a flock that God has entrusted you with, that you take care of, that you love, that you sacrifice for, that, that you do whatever you possibly can to make sure that they thrive and they flourish. That's your job. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But he doesn't just say that pastors are supposed to shepherd. He actually lays out kind of three specific characteristics in this text of what a pastor shepherd is supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. So what I want to do for the next few um, moments is I want to talk about these kind of characteristics of a pastor and what a pastor is supposed to do. And I want to do that for two specific um, reasons. One, um, because you might, might be thinking, why do we need to learn about pastors? Great question. Uh, one, earlier in the same book, in First uh, Peter 2, uh, Peter explained that, again, when, when we were saved, we weren't just saved, we were adopted, and we were adopted into what Peter calls a royal priesthood. There's, there's this, this concept that we are the priesthood of believers. So when you were saved, um, he didn't just save you, but God, in his crazy, um, gracious, uh, merciful way, he took broken sinners and he says, hey, I'm going to save you, but then I'm not going to just leave you there. I'm going to invite you to play a part in my story of redemption. So you don't get to just sit on the sidelines and watch me save people. You get to play a part. You, you get to come onto the field and you get to be ministers. So we are all ministers. If you're a vocational minister or not, if you are a follower of Christ, we are a priesthood of believers. We're a royal priesthood. So these kind of characteristics, they apply to you because we're all ministers. Whether you're ministering at school or at your job or at home with your friends, your family, your roommates, we're all called to be ministers and shepherds. And so we all need to know kind of what these characteristics are. But second, I want you to know what God calls your church leadership to. I want you to have a, a very clear understanding because there's a lot of shepherds in the U.S. who aren't shepherding the way that God has called them to. And so what we want is we want you to know what God calls us to as pastors, as shepherds, so that your expectations of us can be a little higher. We want to make sure that you expect from us what God expects from us. And what you'll see is that God's expectations for shepherds, for those in leadership, is extremely high and extremely specific. So with that being said, I want us to talk about kind of the, the three things that we see here. And the first is this. The first thing that we see in this text is that pastors are to shepherd out of joy rather than obligation. Pastors are called to shepherd out of joy rather than Obligation. Look back um, at verse two. It says, uh, "Shepherd the flock that, that, that shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have, have you. Not under compulsion, but willingly." Let me explain kind of what Peter's saying here. To be a shepherd in a in a vocational sense, to be a pastor, one of the greatest privileges on earth. I mean, what we get to do, like some days I, I wake up and I'm just blown away by the grace of God because we get this front row view 
this front row seat, rather, to, to life change. People like, allow us to walk with them through some of life's hardest times, some of life's most beautiful times. There's all these different things. We get to, to know people on such, such a, a very special level that it's such a privilege. And we're just blown away, right? But the longer that I do ministry, what I find is that after a while, we can kind of lose sight of the fact that what we do is a privilege, and we just see it as a job. And the minute that you begin to see shepherding not as a, a privilege but a job, all of a sudden you start to do things and you realize this kind of feels like a duty. What once was a delight has now become a, a duty and it kind of feels like an obligation. And since a shepherd's job is to, to care for the flock and be so relational, it's not okay to, to be relational out of op- obligation. And if you've ever had a relationship that was rooted in obligation rather than joy, you know that's not a very fun relationship to be in, right? If you've ever had any kind of relationship where, where you felt obligated to spend time with that person, whether it's a friend or someone that you were dating or a family Remember, you, you find that, man, the minute that you realize, man, this is, this is work, this is kind of an ob- obligation, there's no joy in that relationship. It's no longer as, as fun as it used to be. You, you find that it's just not gen- genuine. And so what he's saying here is, hey, pastors, shepherds, what I want you to know is that your job is not to, to shepherd under compulsion. You don't shepherd out of obligation because you have to or because that's what good Christians do. No, no, you shepherd willingly with joy because it's a joy and not an obligation. You have a genuine love for your people. That's what our expectation is, that we have a genuine love for our people that moves us to a place that when we shepherd, when we step into sometimes really difficult circumstances, it's with joy. It's a privilege. It's not an obligation. So my hope is that when you interact with any of us, any of our staff, you feel the sense of just genuine love because we love you guys. Like words cannot begin to to express how much we love the people in this room. And, And my hope is that if there's ever a moment in time when you feel like we're doing anything out of obligation, that you call us out on that that we just have a really cool conversation because we want to make sure that every single person in this room feels that, man, you are a joy and it is our privilege to walk alongside you because that's what we're called to. Pastors are to shepherd out of joy rather than obligation. But here's the, the second thing that pastors are called to. Pastors are to shepherd with eagerness rather than a desire for gain. Pastors are to shepherd with a sense of just being eager rather than a desire for gain. Look back at verse, verse 2. It says, says this. It says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, um, one could read, read that and think, okay, um, what do pastors gain? <laughs> like, what is there to gain by being in ministry to be a shepherd? And that's a great question. The answer is a lot. Um, pastors can gain a lot because historically, to be a pastor, to be a be a shepherd either, it meant that you were either taking a vow of poverty or celibacy, right? That was kind of your like options, right? It's like, wow, there's really nothing to gain there, right? But we live in this kind of weird like Christian culture where we have like pastoral celebrities, 
right? Like the idea of like a celebrity pastor is such like a, a weird concept. But in the U.S. right now, if you play your pastoral cards right, if you play your shepherding cards right, you can gain Insta followers, you can gain podcast subscribers, you can gain book deals, you can gain TV deals, you can gain uh, lucrative speaking gigs, you can hang out with Justin Bieber, you can do a lot of things, right? Like you can do a lot of things. You can gain a lot, right, if you play your pastoral cards right. And so what he's saying here is, no, 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 no. This isn't about gain. This is about just being eager. This is about you having such an eagerness to serve, an eagerness to, to be a part of what God's doing, that you'll do it not so you can gain, but you'll even do it if it costs you something. You'll do it even if you gain nothing from the whole experience. So, so pastors, check your heart to make sure that when you serve your people, it's out of eagerness, not a desire for gain. Right? When, when I read this, this passage, I, I think back to my very first job in uh, the church world. My very, very first job, I had graduated college, decided I think ministry is where God was calling me. Uh, I had been in seminary for maybe like, like a week, and this church hires me to be a worship intern. And they were very, very, very clear. They're like, hey, uh, we can't pay you anything, but if you want to sing songs for free, you can. I was like, I'll take it. Yes. And I was like so excited. And they're like, you seem really excited. Let's just back up. You heard the part where we can't pay you, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. I'll do it. And I was so stoked because I had no experience, no credibility. I had no, like, there's no reason why they should have hired me. I was just so eager, so eager and excited just to be a part of what God was doing. I just wanted to love people and minister and just be like, I just wanted to be in the will of God and just do whatever God was calling me to do. And I didn't care if it cost me something or if I got paid zero. Like, I just wanted to do it. I was just so, so eager. That was eight years ago. And I'm still eager. I still love what I do. But if I'm honest, there's just moments in time when sometimes I need to reflect on those days. Where I need to, 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 to think back to where I was willing to do this for nothing. Because sometimes you, you get so busy and there's so many things, you begin to just kind of look through the lens of, what's in this for me? What can I gain? And, and granted, everyone needs boundaries, and you can't say yes to everything. So you need some kind of test. But if I'm honest, I, I, I can swing into this feeling of, what's in it for me? And, and I need to be reminded of what we're called to, to say, hey, no, you're shepherding not out of gain, but out of eagerness, that you just want to love and serve the flock. And so if you're in here, and at some point along the way, in your church, church, church experience, you've been on the receiving end of some pastors who have led from a place of, of gain. And you just kind of feel rip, ripped off, and you kind of feel like a side effect, and you just feel like, man, I just feel like they were, they were greedy. They were in it for themselves. They weren't really in it for me. Like, I'm so sorry. That's not okay. And again, our hope is that that's not us. That, that, that we, when you see what the word of God calls us to, it, it allows you to hold us to a standard where we serve out of an eagerness, not because we gain anything. But lastly, this is the third, third, third thing that Peter explains. He says, the pastors are also to shepherd as an example of servant leadership rather than an example of dominance. 
The pastors are to shepherd as an example of what it means to be a servant leader rather than an example of what it means just to dominate. Let's look at, at verse, verse 3. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Sadly, I would imagine that if I were to ask any person in this room, hey, do you have an example of a pastor who's abused his authority? Do you have an example of a, a pastor or a shepherd who has uh, been domineering or has lorded his authority over people? I would imagine that almost every single person in this room could, could name a pastor or name a story, either that you've heard, heard of or that you've experienced on a personal level. And again, that's not okay. Because that's not the example that our chief shepherd left for us. Our, our chief shepherd, as it says in verse, verse 4, our chief shepherd is Jesus. And the example that he left us is not one of being hungry for power. It's not one of being domineering. No, it's an example of being humble and servant-hearted, selfless, sacrificial. Right? Philippians 2, this phenomenal um, glimpse into the humility of Christ that says that, that although Jesus is and, and, and was God, he, he didn't count, he's never, get, account, or he's never counted equality with God, something that he was entitled to. He said instead he, he chose to leave his throne, become a man, and take the form of a servant. It says, and he came and he did servant things, and he became so obedient. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's this picture of God. All the glory in the world, all the praise, worthy of all the praise and honor the universe has to offer. And he humbly said, hey, I'm not, I'm not entitled to this, even though he is. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in. Because I got some people, man, they, they need something. They they have this, this broken relationship, and, and I'm the only one that, that can fix it. So I'm going to step in. I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to lay down my life so they can live. That's the example that we were left, left with. This picture of a shepherd who says, no, no, no. I love my flock so much that I'm going to lay down my life so they live. Right? So again, if anywhere in your church experience you have been on the receiving end of a pastor or a shepherd who has just been domineering, I am so sorry because that's not okay. And our hope is that, is that that's not said of the pastors on the staff. That, that our posture, that the example that we lead is one of being a servant, one of sacrificing, one of laying down our life because that's what we're called to. Right? And again, it's not just us as, as, as paid staff. We are part of a royal priesthood. We're all ministers in this room. And so this isn't just for us as paid staff. This is for every single person who calls himself a follower of Christ. We're all called to minister with joy, with a sense of just eagerness, and with this selfless, sacrificial servant leadership. Because that's the model that Christ has left for us. That's what our chief shepherd has done. And so ben, ben was talking earlier about this idea that um, for the next five weeks, we're going to invite you into our homes. One of the primary reasons we're doing that 
is because we want to be shepherds who, who know the flock, who understand the flock. Like, we can't minister to the flock well if we don't know who the flock is and who's in our flock. So for, for the next five weeks, this is, this is honestly us just laying our cards on the table and saying, we want to invite you into our homes. We, we, we want to know you. So, so our hope is that over the next five weeks, you'll come alongside side us and you'll just sit on our couches and play with dinosaur toys and pet, pet dogs and all those things and so that we can be this, this body where we are shepherds who, who know the flock really, really well because we want to be eager and full of joy and just laying down our lives for every single person in this room. Now, Peter has one last bit of instruction because he doesn't just talk to those who are um, shepherds. He talks to those who are also members of the flock. So let's look at what he says to those of us who are members of the flock. This is verse, verse five. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I start right there. That's it. Um, this, <laughs> this word for be subject to is a word that means submit. And so he, he says, hey, leaders, elders, pastors, shepherds, yeah, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock with joy, with eagerness, with um, just this, this sacrificial posture. Just, like take care of the flock. Members of the flock, follow the lead of the shepherd. Submit to the shepherd. That's the, the instruction. And you might hear that and you might think, really? Are you serious? Like, that's, that's it. Like, all we're supposed to do is just fall in line, just politely fall in line and do whatever the shepherd says. So he's making all the decisions and I'm just supposed to, like, follow blindly? Is that what's supposed to happen here? No, but kind of. And let me explain why. This is actually a really beautiful thing because of what we just read, right? Submission is this word that is, really dirty word in our culture because we've all seen people abuse power um we we view submission through the lens of oppression and tyranny we associate the word submission with oh that must be oppressive that must be tyrannical right but we have to remember what peter's saying here he's saying hey i'm i'm asking you to submit not to an oppressive or tyrannical shepherd i just told the shepherds they better lay down their life for you I just told the shepherds that they better not be greedy for gain. They better not be doing this out of obligation. They better not be do domineering or oppressive or tyrannical. You know, the shepherd's job is to consistently lay down his life for the good of the flock. So what he's calling us as members of the flock to do is to humbly follow the lead of the shepherd, knowing that our shepherds are for our good, trusting that our shepherds are for our good. And when we know and believe that the shepherds are for our good and that they're not trying to rob us of joy or, or pull some power move, but they're trying to, to help us flourish. And submission should be easy because we understand that no one's trying to rob us of joy. No one's trying to take anything from us. They're trying to lead us into the fullness of joy and life, right? And that's this kind of beautiful picture of, of how the, the dynamic of church leaders and church members are supposed to work. There's the leaders who are constantly laying down their life for the flock, thinking, how can I better serve the flock? And then a flock who trusts the leaders enough to say, hey, whatever you say, I trust that you're for me, 
and you're for the body, you're for the flock. You're not going to do anything to harm the flock, so I'm going to follow suit. I'm going to trust you. Now, that's much easier said than done. That sounds really cool, really beautiful, really utopia-esque, right? I don't even know if that's a word, but you understand, right? This is really, really hard to pull off. This is so hard to, to, to pull off. And so it's like Peter knew that what he was asking us to do would be incredibly difficult to pull off. So he finishes this little stanza with, with one last bit of information, not just for shepherds, not just for the flock, but for both the shepherds and the flock. And so let's read the very last part of verse, verse 5. It says this. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Catch, catch that. Who? All of you. Shepherds, the flock, Everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He finishes this whole idea by saying, hey, in order to pull this off, what's going to happen is we've all got to be humble. We've all got to be humble. And you know why that's so hard? Because we all think we're right. We all think we're right. And there's moments in time when our pride gets in the way. And as members of the flock, we look at the shepherds and we say, and that sh- shepherd's a moron. That shepherd, like, that's, that's such a bad decision. What, what, what makes the shepherd think that he can pull that move? Man, if I was the shepherd, right? Or there's moments in time when the shepherds look at the flock and they say, man, those millennial sheep over there, ooh, I tell, tell, tell you what, they will not follow. Right? I say, Here is, here's water, and they go running over there. And, like, like, and, there's, the, and there's, there's these moments in time when sometimes we just swing into this desire to please ourselves because we all want to be right. And so sometimes the shepherds struggle, shepherd struggle with pride. Sometimes the sheep struggle with pride. And what he's saying is that, man, for the shepherd to be someone who's constantly laying down his life for the good of the flock, they have to be humble. And if the flock, if they're going to truly trust and follow the shepherd, they have to die to themselves and they have to be humble. And they have to trust. And sometimes trusting is the most humble thing that you can possibly do. Say, hey, I, I don't know, but I trust you. I trust that you're for me, you're for my good. And so what we're called to as a body on both sides of the fence is that we've got to be humble. Because that's how this thing is going to work. And so you think... How? How do we do that? Great question. There's a billion ways, right? But a lot of it is just gaining perspective. It's asking questions. It's trying to put ourselves in the other shoes. It's trying to understand the shepherds. If we don't understand the shepherds, it's the shepherds trying to under, understand the flock. It's this, this, this desire to prioritize oneness over rightness. So this idea of, man, what can I do to die to myself in order to better follow the shepherd? What can I do to, to, to die to myself to better love and serve the flock? And so if we each lead from a place of humility, what's going to happen is incredible. Because we're going to have this body, this flock that's going to flourish, it's going to thrive. And then people are going to watch the dynamics between these relationships and think, man, that's incredible. How? How does that happen? Everyone's so humble. Everyone's so, so willing to die to themselves. Like that's, that's unreal. 
And what that does is that doesn't distract from the gospel. That actually opens the door. Because we say, man, we're, we're honest. We're just trying to be like Christ. We're just trying to be like our, our chief shepherd who didn't count equality with God, something he was entitled to, but he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and because of that, we get life. And that's our hope, is that our ultimate goal is that we're just trying to be humble because our chief shepherd was humble. Can we pray? Father, you are so kind to us um, as the ultimate shepherd over all. I think about how many times I have been a sheep that has run the other way, has wandered off, um, has, has not trusted you to lead me well. Um, Father, the reality is this is difficult. The, the relationships within the church, they're, they're tricky. Father, I ask above all that you give us hearts of humility. That our desire is to, to, to lead and to shepherd others with humble hearts. And that we desire to, to serve those who have been called to shepherd us with humble hearts knowing that at the end of the day, this isn't about us, this is about you. And about others coming to know you, others getting to, to marvel at the grace that you've bestowed upon us. That others get to, to just excitedly hear the good news that while we were far off, you came for us. You brought us near. And though we didn't earn it, nothing that we did it was purely by, by, by your grace. Father, may that be what is so evident in the way that we love and serve each other. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.